Dishonored is an RPG, Corvo Atano. Welcome to episode 52 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards, and uh, I hate all of the people that we have on the podcast today because they're all playing Virtue's Last Reward, and I am not. I'm not. Oh, okay. I, I don't hate you. Uh, miserable okay. and horrible. No, it's called I'm Cheap, and I don't want to go out and buy a 3DS or a Vita for one game. Dude, there's lots of good 3DS games yeah. now. Yeah. Notice yeah. you didn't say there's lots of good Vita games <laughs> out right now. Well, because they all came out in the last week. Yeah, all the good video games are coming out right now. Okay, all right. So the person that isn't playing Virtue's Last Reward is my buddy Steven. Uh, yes, that is me. I am Taylor's on the boards. I just realized I didn't introduce John Second, so I will probably be fired and replaced by Derek on the next podcast. This is John McCarroll. I'm editor-in-chief, and I'm here to talk about Forza Horizon today. Is that an RPG like XCOM is an RPG? Well, your cars level up, so you can get new parts and you can upgrade <laughs> Oh, boy. Okay. And uh, joining me today is the person who laughs because I got the last story. I haven't played it yet, but I did buy it. After all we talked about, too. My name's Derek. I'm Embryon on the boards, and I'm here to talk about pumpkin spice lattes from Starbucks today. I am not a fan. I'm not a fan. Well, you continue to disappoint me on every I, level. I love chai. <laughs> I love chai, and I typically like pumpkin spice coffee. But they're the yeah. I don't know. It just it doesn't do it for me. I live in St. Louis. I like pumpkin spice Schlafly beer. That's pretty rad. Ooh, ooh. We got some games to talk about today, and then we also have something after the news section. Isn't that right, Stephen? Yes, uh, we have an interview with Phoenix Online Studios, and they're about their upcoming game uh, Cognition, which is a point-and-click adventure game. That is not like Telltale's games. It's like King's Quest. So I like it better already. Cool. So stay tuned for that after uh, John's news section. But before we get there, uh, yeah. So if you guys remember, if the listeners remember, we talked a lot about 999 uh, way back when. And I said that I was absolutely in love with that game. I, I adored it. Uh, I believe I said it was much, much better than Heavy Rain. And I stand by that. And uh, yeah, now the... The, is it officially a sequel, Virtue's Last Reward? Yes. Is it, it, it is yep. officially a sequel. Yep. Now I want to play it even more. Okay, so talk, because I have right. something. So one year after 999, there's Don't. another non- Oh, my God. I'm giving you, like, what happens in the first three minutes of the game, Rob. I said nothing. That wasn't me. Oh, who who said that? <laughs> no, I said don't spoil anything from 999. I'm literally playing it. Oh, oh. oh. Oh, God, okay. I just, I, damn, I, 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 I apologize, Rob. <laughs> I apologize. No, I think it's uh, fair to always assume it's Rob. Yeah, I, that, it is. <laughs> it, I, I think it was a safe assumption. I was wrong for one time <laughs> in 100. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it takes place a year after VLR, and you're a college student who's been kidnapped. Oh, what? A year after 999? Yeah. <laughs> you said a year after VLR. Oh, uh, yes. A year after 999, you are a college student who has been kidnapped and you're in another honorary game. 
Um, except this time, the the only zero that you are aware of is this tiny little bunny AI, who has been jovially nicknamed Zero Junior. Um, <laughs> and he is the best, the best I, character. I, I'm not quite as enamored with him as everyone else is. He's kind of funny, but uh, so essentially, you have. Um, as it is the nonary game, there's eight other folks for nine altogether, and you uh, have to play kind of this prisoner's dilemma style system where uh, you're put in a room and uh, you have to vote whether or not to ally or betray. Um, if everyone allies, everyone gets two points. Um, if one person allies and one person betrays, uh, the the person who betrays gets three points. The person who allies loses two. And then if uh, both parties betray, then... No one gets any points. And tell us what happens if you lose all your points. If you lose all your points, you die. Do Just like die in real life? You die for real? Yes, because much like uh, 999, um, ev- everyone can die. Which is last reward starring Colin Farrell. Um, Go on. So, you know, other than than talking about the, the, the base concept of it, it, it's really tough to go into it without being spoilery because it's a visual novel and as you well know visual novels are all about the the story but it's this this really interesting combination of science fiction and suspense and unlike 999 the system where where you go about and get all 24 endings um and when i say there's 24 endings that's really kind of stretching it there's really only nine um and there's a bunch of other bad endings and to be continueds. Um, but you're able to jump around through this. The, you can the game shows it as a flowchart where you can go back and say, okay, I want to make this choice instead. Um, and it actually becomes an integral part of the story um, as you kind of piece everything together. Um, but if you're a fan of of quantum mechanics, they talk about Schrodinger's cat and and kind of waveform collapse and oh all that. dear. I think that flowchart is a really, really big improvement over 999 because one of the the biggest problems with that game is that you have to play it several times to get the full story. And you had to keep going through and repeating the same puzzles over and over. So now with this flowchart, you can just immediately jump to any major decision and then start from there so that if you wanted to choose Ally or Betray. One thing that's good is say, say you choose a different door. And there's still a bunch of dialogue that's shared between them. You can skip the shared dialogue because the game's not going, oh, you're in a new place. It's going, oh, wait, 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 we know you've actually seen this before. So we're just going to skip to the very first point that the dialogue changes from the last thing that you did. Which is pretty imperative for a visual novel because, you know, like 70% of the game is reading. Yeah, it, it would, you know, it's like if you were reading a novel and you read to chapter five and then you're like, oh, I need to, to read something else. And then you had to read all of it again to get to a different chapter five. It would kind of suck. Um, but the the major improvement is that the game, the game is actually longer than 999. Everything. Yeah, told. it definitely seems like it. I've put in like 13 hours and I've only gotten one real ending. Well, maybe the, uh, the, the or kind of pile up at the end, so. You, but even you, look at the flowchart, I don't know how long, you know, there's no well, way to tell how so long you branch I, I read very, very quickly, and I'm very good at the so puzzles I. in the game. It took me 29 hours to do everything. And that's a lot for a visual novel. That's that's huge. Yeah, I think I'm on the same track then, because I've done, like, the entire left branch of the flowchart. So. 
how is the story like it, it, 999 what was keeping me so interested was like all the mystique of the game all all the little the little plot threads that you pick up as you go down different story branches you learn something that then you apply to the to a different story branch when you take a different same path deal. Eh? yep same, same deal oh. it, it is set up just like that um literally you know the the I, I can't go into the the actual mechanics of it because it becomes a spoiler, but you are specifically going and collecting bits of information from every different path. Yep, I know what you're talking about. Okay, um, and how are the puzzles? Because the puzzles you know were one of the highlight uh, highlights of nine nine nine. I dig the puzzles. Um, I was actually having a, a conversation with one of the members of our boards on this. I think to did did you find the puzzles in nine 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 challenging, Rob? I. What was funny was I thought the first puzzle was a little confusing because there was like uh, – let me let me back up a sec because uh, then, I, then I have another question to pose to you after I answer your first question. But uh, the first puzzle in 999 is like you're, you're in a room that's filling with water, and you have to very quickly figure out the combination to get out well, of it. You don't really have to figure it out quickly. You could, you could spend ex- six ex- hours doing it. Exactly. That's, that's kind of the point is like you're, you're in a room filling with water, but you can take however long you want because the game doesn't have a mechanic to – time as a factor into the puzzle so the puzzles were very leisurely i think what i i didn't find the puzzles hard uh, hard in 999 because there was a logic to them even if it was maybe a little silly logic every once in a while like i, I think at one point you use like a piece of chicken to blow open a door uh just to blow open the door i did that last night but yes you used a piece of chicken to do something silly yes and, and so I, I don't i didn't find the puzzles challenging also because there was no time limit so i could do them at a leisurely pace so no, I, I didn't find them challenging, but I found them to be like fun little asides to the story. Okay, so I found the puzzles in nine 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 to be really kind of obtuse. Um, I thought that they had kind of weird Phoenix Wright e logic. The chicken. <laughs> um, VLR's puzzles are challenging, but they are incredibly worthwhile, and they're not obtuse, or at least they weren't to me. Whereas the guy I was chatting with felt the puzzles in 999 were really straightforward and is kind of struggling more with puzzles in VLR. So I think it's kind of how your brain works. You're either going to find the puzzles kind of obtuse or you're going to find them challenging but straightforward. Um, the one thing that actually was, was really interesting to me that was a positive is usually if I have to write things down or use Excel to track things in a game, I get frustrated because I don't feel like I should have to do that. Um, but I literally had like 40 pieces of scratch paper and four Excel spreadsheets <laughs> that I had devoted to things I was doing in the game. And like I love tracking it. your decisions or like tracking your puzzles. No, or? tracking it all, all puzzle tracking. The game does all the decision tracking for you. And there's a nice flow chart that allow like that. That's not an issue in this game. Oh, that, that that's good. Because that's one thing with 999 that I'm I'm enjoying it. But I feel like. At times, like there's a there's a particular puzzle where you have to basically balance these two scales, but the only way to see the weights of the parts is to back completely out of the puzzle, look at a file, go back into the puzzle, listen to all of the dialogue that explains how the puzzle works again. Uh, and, then, I, I again. and by then I've forgotten it all. I remember. Write it that. down. They have a memo function. Actually, I just started randomly swapping parts in it. That memo way. function in the game. I've been playing it on Vita. The memo function in that game is useless. Yeah, it really is. It is. Um, I agree. It's one thing where if you have a stylus and can make really small um, notes, like I haven't played the game on the 3DS, but I hear the controls are infinitely better, even if it's much uglier. Um, 
But trying to like write things down using your fingers as stylus, if you've tried to play draw something, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it's broken. So literally, I didn't use the memo function more than twice in the game. And the only time that I used it is because I wanted to have an overlay of what was actually on the screen. Mm. Yeah, I, I just used paper. I was more saying Steven used the memo in 999. But no. yeah, there's a memo in 999. Isn't there? I can't remember. Do they have any? Uh, do the puzzles ever get to the point? Uh, one of the, the one of the sillier moments in nine 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 is at the very end of the game. If you're doing the true ending, I'm not going to spoil it. But there's a puzzle that you have to solve to get the true ending, and they they imply that it's timing based. And I just sat down and worked it out, and it took me a little bit of time because I, I really suck at that particular type of game, <clears throat> and so. I started doing it, and there is no urgency, which is both a blessing and a curse. You can do it at your own pace, but they they make it like there's urgency, but there's not. In Virtue's Last Reward, do they ever do anything like that? Like no, there there there's no timing stuff. Actually, the the because the concept in VLR is different. That you're trying to get nine points to get out. You're not working against a time ever when you're doing a puzzle. Okay. You are playing against the other people. You're not playing against the clock. Okay. No, that yeah. that's fine. I mean, if the, if the urgency is put somewhere else, then I can I can dig it. But it it really is the uh, the game unfolds brilliantly. The only time that I had an issue was there's there's three major branches, and then however many sub branches. I think there's like seventeen sub branches. Once you finished about two complete branches, doing that third branch takes it, it, it kind of wears on you until you get almost to the end of that branch and things really start picking back up. Because once you've done there, there's shared information between all three branches. But once you've done two branches, you have a pretty good idea of the big picture. You're still missing some stuff, but a lot of the stuff that you read in that third branch isn't new information, even if it's presented in a different way. Right. I was noticing a little bit of overlap because even with just, I, like I said, I've just done one of the big branches and some of the sub branches there, it's like you're getting almost the same information presented to you, but with little tidbits that are different so that you can really easily piece it together. Like if I had done branch two instead of one first, then I would have said, oh, I, I didn't realize that that was what was going on exactly. It's again, I can't say anything without spoiling, but I do know what you mean. And I can tell that that might be an issue later on. They let you skip uh, the dialogue and the story bits, right? Right. If if you have already seen that piece, yes. And now they no. probably they probably still don't let you skip the puzzles, right? No, yes. you, you can no, if, if you've you, done if them before. That's what we were saying. You literally, you just go back to the the branch choice. Oh, not, oh, okay. Oh, I was I wasn't understanding that. Oh, okay. Like the flowchart, you can say I want to go here, and there's like a hundred nodes on this flowchart. So oh. it's it's it sounds like it works kind of like Radiant Historia minus the having to repeat the cutscene. Yes. 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 And what John was saying was that even though you can skip text that you've already seen, there are story branches that you're going to and you're seeing, you know, it's a new branch, but they're saying almost the same thing, but you haven't technically read it. Yeah. So you have there's to kind some, of go some, the same. Yeah, there's some of that stuff where you can skip where, where if it's the identical text that's shared between the two branches, but oftentimes it's it's little tiny changes that you can't skip. And it's like, well, I know this already. Like there's giving a specific example after the first set of puzzles uh, Zero Junior gives additional instructions on the game. And oftentimes you can't skip through part of that because he goes, uh, you know, if whatever, if you get below zero, you die. 
And because everyone's made different ally and betray decisions, it's different people that he describes. And it will probably be X, Y, or Z. And you can't skip past there because it's a different dialogue set. Because he's saying different something. Okay. Well, being able to go to the different nodes really helps. That was one thing with 999. Like, in order to get that true ending, you kind of did have to look at a wiki to make sure that you learned the pieces actually, of information. And Actually, I kind of had that question regarding VLR and 999, because I'm playing 999 now, and I've basically been told that no matter what you do, you cannot possibly get the true ending. You cannot the get the true ending on the like, first Even playthrough. if you make those decisions, is it... Is it obtuse to figure out how to get the true engine? Because especially with games like this, I, I, I can't stand having to check a guide to be like, okay, well, I have to say this to that guy right. and this to that it, guy. It uh, is a, it is a little bit like that in 999. VLR, you can get the true ending by doing everything. And you have to do everything to get... like a, Some of the, the endings, especially the game over endings, are really unsatisfying. Um, like You'll be like, that's it? That That's my ending? And some are like, oh, that's a, that, you know, it's a little cool aside, but obviously that's not the way that, that things play out in the true ending. Um, but it becomes very obvious when you get to the true ending, what the true ending is because of the way play, things play out. Now, is mm -hmm. it all part of the same story or is it actually like, okay, events unfolded differently here? So um, you don't. Do you, the, the game has a lot of talk about quantum mechanics and waveform collapse. So. Okay. I'm going to leave that there. Yep. I, yeah. I can, now, based that, off that, my knowledge of 999, I think I can figure out where they're going. So is that going similar in 999 where... Go on. Basically, I guess what my question is, or and maybe you can't answer without a spoiler, 999 I'm detecting is starting out posing as a realistic game, but is going to turn into sci-fi. I, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to say anything. VLR is kind of similar. Um, it's... They they share some similar concepts, but not exactly the same. Like the, the VLR is a sequel to Nine Nine Nine, so they're going to share some similar concepts. Did were there any were there any carryover characters or plot threads? There actually, just by looking at the the nine main characters, you can see that there's character crossover, but a lot of that is spoilery okay let's not let's not do any spoilers i think yeah, no no I, i'm yeah no you're doing a really good job of avoiding that like and, and doing a great job so in terms of i don't want to ask you which one's better but does this does this feel like a worthy successor to 999 yes yeah. i i enjoy vlr a great deal it feels more compact it feels like there's less extraneous dialogue i like the puzzles like it it's a, a Having gotten the true ending now, it, it really – some of the plot twists are awesome. They come out of nowhere. Um, the, the, the big plot twist I didn't see coming at all, and I really enjoyed it. Um, so, yeah, I would say that this is, is definitely a worthy sequel. If you love 999, you should be playing VLR right now. I think it's brilliant. Brilliant. It's kept me up several nights until like 3 in the morning, like bleary-eyed playing because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop. And my Vita was dying every time. That's how much I like it. Oh, would, the would past you, two nights I've been doing that with 999. It's like I look up. I'm like, oh, good. It's 4:30 in the morning. Would you, so I uh, I was playing VLR and I was coming down the stretch in the true ending and I'm I'm getting somewhere and my Vita dies, <sighs> just right in the middle and I'm not anywhere close to my house. Oh, did it? Uh, but didn't it pick up? 
Because I've had oh, that yeah, before yeah, when my it, Vita it, died. And it, I put it's it back safe in the state, and I, I got to play when I got home, but... Oh, yeah, was, but that I sucks, because you're like, no! I really want to play this game. I just... We talked before... I, I, I don't feel the need to buy a 3DS or a Vita. There, there's no games that I really want to play that badly. But then something like this comes out, and I'm like, well, that's. I mean, it's it's kind of that's the the draw. Welcome to next it. gen. Yeah. Though Good Rob would Rob would Rob would really like Uncharted for Vita. Wow, you you went there. You know what, dude? I like Uncharted, and I didn't like Uncharted on Vita. <laughs> wow. Did you... Uh, Uncharted did it, on Vita is Uncharted 1. It's not Uncharted 2 or 3. But yep. didn't it do the whole thing that they, they do with any new piece of technology and any new, like, oh, stick-waggling yeah. thing, it, where, like, you, you have charcoal God, rubbings yeah. and stuff? Oh, that, yes. It, it, it's garbage touchscreen crap. You that, can play that's actually that. one, one thing that I wanted to make note of is the... Con- I, I know I talked to it a little bit. The control scheme on Vita is not very good. And oftentimes you will get stuck and it shows you something and you need to touch something exactly. Like you've got like a 10 pixel area that you need to touch and you'll like poke at it three times to have to get it to actually recognize, oh, you're trying to touch that lock, not the tiny bit of safe around it. Just a little too accurate on the touch screen, you think, and not enough like leeway and how big the, the target areas are. It's it's something like if I had a stylus and I was playing this on 3DS, I could poke at it with the stylus. But uh, yeah. if the thing is a third of the size of my fingertip, well, why don't you just use a stylus? Oh, you do, do you do you have stylus. a capacitive stylus, Rob? A sitting cap- around? A capacitive size? What? The Vita Rob has a capacitive technology. touch screen. It's it's not a squishy touch screen. It's okay, an okay. I, it's an iPad touch screen. Right. It's not a the, DS touch screen. This is but this is actually good for our readers. I can explain the difference between the types of touch screens. I'm so confused. So the the PlayStation or the the PlayStation Vita has a capacitive touch screen, and what that means is it recognizes where you're touching it based on electricity. So everyone has an electrical current going through their body. I have what? Like coal. Coal has electricity going through his body. No. Not exactly not quite like, like that. No, it is exactly like that. I, oh, I shoot lightning said, from my fingertips, don't you guys? I thought you meant coal as C O A L. I was like, what? No, he means coal <laughs> from C O L E from Uncharted. Uh, coal, uh, no, not Uncharted. Superheroes screwed up, damn it, John. Yeah. So anyway, so uh, the way that uh, your cell phone or the PlayStation Vita or your iPad or whatever recognizes that you're touching it is through that little electrical current. That's why you can't use your DS stylus on your iPad or your Vita or whatever. I'm doing that with my iPhone right now, and you're, you're right. I can't, I'm touching it with a pen, and it isn't doing anything. Yes, but because that, there's no electricity running through that pen. But Rob's they, obviously not a big enough tech nerd. But they do have, like, the... Uh, I guess what you're about ready to tell us is that they do have styluses that... Uh, styli? Stylus? Yeah, there, there, there are products produced that are <laughs> capacitive and will, you know... Okay, I do have... Those. I have one of those for my iPad. Okay, okay. So I could actually use that on a Vita. Yes, you could. Okay. The well, 3DS and the DS use what's called a resistive touchscreen. Yeah. And what that is is there's actually two membranes... On your Vita screen. So that's why there's a little bit of give when you poke down on your your, uh, DS's screen, yeah? Yeah, 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 yeah. When those two membranes touch, there's an electrical current in your DS 
they touch, it recognizes that those two currents now have made a circuit and says, oh, you're touching right there. Okay. Well, now I learned something. I feel like that entire last part of the conversation, you could remove the context and make it a really dirty conversation, mm-hmm. and I'd laugh. Oh, my Touching God. Membrane. Wow. <laughs> I, I hate everyone in this room right now. So, yeah, VLR. If you are a fan of visual novels or RPGs or whatever, grab it. Um, you don't have to have knowledge of 999 to play it, um, but, but it, it's it's better if you do. Cool. I think you should. You don't have uh, to. You don't have to. The, the game is standalone, but uh, a couple of the, the oh crap revelations uh, really require you to have played 999. Okay. How, uh, how long is 999, like, first playthrough, generally? Uh, four or five hours, maybe. Uh, you can get all the endings, I think, in about 20. Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of hammered my way through it. When I when I played it through twice and I really wanted to get that final ending, I, I sat down and planned it out. It Yeah, maybe about 15, 20 hours if you want to get the full thing and you're going a little slow. Yeah. If Now, you pretty much need to walk through because there are some points where you have to they do that obnoxious dialogue thing where if you don't give the right dialogue answer, then you close yourself off from the uh, true ending. That yes, can... the, the, just you mean like all... here is this bookmark? What would you like to do with it? There are there are actually no dialogue choices in VLR. It's all well there there are, but they're they're you have to do all of them. Okay. So like they, where it's kinda... it's like where do you want to go? Do you, you want to go to the lounge? Do you want to go to the quarters? Whatever. And after you go to the lounge, it says, do you want to go to the quarters or do you want to go to the... So you have to do all of them. You're not going to cut yourself off like you did in 999. Cool. Oh, a point that I wanted to mention really quick uh, was that Stephen or somebody was asking about... I think Stephen was saying in 999, is there a way to... uh, Like, even if you take the true ending path, you can't actually see the true ending until you've seen the others? Yeah. Something like that happens in in Virtue's Last Reward where you'll get to, like, locks in the flowchart where you can't proceed until you know something from another part of the story. And that's not exactly the same as what we were saying before. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. But, but yeah, you can make choices that take you towards endings that you, quote-unquote, shouldn't be getting yet, but you can't actually see them until you have well, the correct it, information. It, it's not that it's just cutting you off. It's that you that your character has to make some kind of decision with information that he doesn't have. Oh, okay. So... Um, that makes sense. Like the, you know, it's it's. Um, I'm trying to think of the least spoilery one. Um, well, there's one that's just like, do you know this code? Okay, yeah, stuff like that. And if if you don't know the code, you don't have. Oh, you, you did the far left branch. That's right. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it, it's like if there's information that you need to proceed and you don't have it, um then the game is like to be continued and you have to go and do other branches to get that information. Oh, okay. So it doesn't, it doesn't put you into a fail state and because of the branching system, you can just go back and yes, exactly. Wow, so it actually really shows nice. on the flow chart as a black question mark. Oh, and cool. when you, when you go to the flow chart and you poke at it, it goes, you know, like, what do you do for X, Y, Z? And then when you have the answer, it turns into a green question mark and you can go back and do it. It's I like that. That's, that's, yeah. I, that sounds like they've really refined the gameplay aspect of it while still keeping the good story stuff from 999. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we should it's play really it. good. Like, yes, kind of work. You, you, you should play it. Hopefully by the time this uh, podcast is up, my review should be up because I'm planning to write it today. So 
So, uh, Virtue's last reward, better than Heavy Rain. Okay, moving on. You I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. Press X to 10 Miyoji. <laughs> to what? 10 Miyoji. It's one of the characters in the game. Yeah. Okay. I thought you said press X to it's do like, with the... Po- with oh, the I, I get the reference now. Okay, okay. Yeah. I got, I got really Moving on. Rob is slow as usual. <laughs> All right, pandas. Oh, for God's sake. Really? I like how Rob was like before. He's like, okay, so we have Pandaria to talk about. Yeah, but now I'm character Rob, and so like I I hate pandas. I mean, I like well, red pandas. What are you? What are you, Colbert? <laughs> I just you have like a real you and a character you. Yep. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I okay, okay. I I am not a World of Warcraft <laughs> character. Uh, character. <laughs> I'm not a World World of Warcraft player. I understand that pandas are part of the lore of World of Warcraft, so I get it. But really, it's Kung Fu Panda. Like kind I, of. It, it is. Did did he hit another three home runs? What? Anyone? <laughs> Anyone? Ah, uh, no. One of the one of the guys on the San Francisco Giants is nicknamed Kung Fu Panda. Oh, okay. Because uh, he he is he's round. Dude, I'm a Pittsburgh fan. Baseball does not exist. Like it's just. Hey, they were good for a while, and then. Yeah, and and Pittsburgh gave a collective. We care. No. <laughs> but uh, so. Honestly, I actually my I leveled my panda up to to like five, and then I was like, I'm just gonna play my rogue <laughs> because I have my gnome rogue that I have um I think 132 days played on. God, hang on, I gotta get out my 909 calculator for that. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that picks up well on the podcast. Uh, 264. Holy. <laughs> 260, no, that's that's 3,168 hours or so. No, it's it, no, it's not. If you have 120 days, then it's 120 multiplied by 24, big guy. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. 2,880. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. Wow. I thought I was hardcore. I was I doing really like bad math there for a second. On my Lotro character. Oh my God, John. 2,800. John, but, the most dude, dude, guys, the game launched. Seven years ago. No, but here's the thing, John. Chrono Cross launched like 20 years ago. I don't have that many. John, here's the thing. The most I have ever played a game is probably Left 4 Dead. I have 200 hours logged into that over the course of a year. Okay. I used to be hardcore raider. Yeah, I could see that, John. <laughs> so... I, I, I know my World of Warcraft. Actually, I, I played Cataclysm. I leveled to 85, and Cataclysm just really didn't have anything to hold my interest. That kind of seemed to be the whole fan response to Cataclysm, was it, it was kind of like a, yeah, this happened. Yeah, it was great if you were coming into the game, because all the con- they redid all the content from 0 to 60. And it's great. All that new content is awesome, but kind of the, the Cataclysm zones were not very great. I hated underwater combat. And there's some underwater content in Pandaria that I also hate. You just don't like underwater content in any MMO. Yeah, did you like the game Critical Depth, which was tw- no, Twisted you know Metal what, you, Underwater? You know what game I actually <laughs> really did like, though? Deep Fear for the Bioshock. Bioshock. Sub Sub-Rebellion for PlayStation 2, which was an IRAM submarine game. I do not recall that one. I, IRAM, is the, they're the guys the who did that. Uh, right? Our type. Yeah, R-Type and, and all those oh, kinds of Oh, am I thinking of the wrong thing? 
I, I think maybe they did that too. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to look it up. I remember being in absolute love with Critical Depth. I thought it was better than Twisted Metal 2. I need to go back and make sure I still think that. I loved that game. <laughs> so, Pandas. Go back and make sure I still think that. I, I gotta go back and make sure I wasn't, like, just young and stupid. You know, I don't remember what I said, but whatever I said, I stand by it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pandas. Oh, oh. <laughs> Going over just briefly all of the new content in Pandaria. Oh, so, you've got, you've got Pandas. You've got the Monk class, which exactly what World of Warcraft needed was another leather-based agility class because rogues don't have to fight with people over gear enough already. But I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not uh, I'm not saying anything there. Uh, monks are fun. I mean, they they are a leather-based agility DPS class, which means that they play somewhat similarly to rogues. Um, not exactly like rogues. They've got different stances, kind of like a druid has forms, and they get, uh, you know, they've got a, a point system and an energy system. So they're they're not completely dissimilar from rogues, but they're unique. Have you seen the um? So you had stopped playing WoW for a little bit, right? You hadn't played for a while. Yeah. So like I said, I played Cataclysm. Cataclysm really didn't hold my interest. Um. So I let my account lapse, came back for Pandaria, and Pandaria actually had, I was like, oh, I would like to play Pandaria. Whereas with Cataclysm, it was like, I got to get to 85 to see if there's any good content. And I really liked kind of the new Pandaria stuff. Uh, I, I just asked that because they did this article on GameSpy, and they, they, they kind of keep talking about MMOs, and they talked about how Guild Wars 2 was like a very friendly, inviting MMO to come back to. I took a little bit of a break, and I'm coming back to it now, and it's it's very easy to jump right in. And then they show this comparison screenshot with... Um, with everything, like all the trainers and all the like, the different weapons and uh, and skill icons and everything for WoW, and it covered up like sixty percent of the screen, and it just said at the bottom of the of the uh, JPEG, "Welcome back." <laughs> I'm just like, well, the, oh my god! <laughs> the core interface to World of Warcraft is very very lean and clean. Um, World of Warcraft, if you're a raider, you have a crap load of add-ons. Like, you have mods that tell you when bosses are going to do things. You have mods that tell you where, you know, nodes are going to spawn for for herbs or for metal or whatever. You have mods for this. You have mods for that. You have mods for auctions. You have mods for everything. Like, I, I play a fairly lean game, and I still have, like, 12 add-ons. So... Lots of stuff that's going on is is not necessarily because the game is doing them. It's because there's an add-on doing them. Okay, I'm I'm just I I thought it was funny. No, no, I agree. Like the what, what's funny about World of Warcraft is is much like Guild Wars. There's I'd say maybe twelve or fifteen skills that are kind of core to the class, and then there's a whole bunch of skills that are either oh crap buttons where it's like oh I need to, this is happening I need that to stop or you know there's there's stuff that you use not very often I think that's a good analogy except that if you're talking guild wars it's more like there's a core of five skills that your class needs Eh, true but you know it really depends on the class as a as a rogue it's you mash sinister strike or hemo or backstab depending on what what uh, build you are, but that's neither here nor there. 
but talking about those three different branches, uh, they significantly changed kind of the, the level and talent system in the game. And when I first picked it up, I really thought it was for the negative because Cataclysm had already simplified talents and Pandaria simplifies them even more. So as opposed to getting a skill point every level, you get one talent point every 15 levels. You get one at 15, you get one at 30, 45, all the way to 90. And you only have those talents. It's not like you have talents that are like, oh, you get plus 1.5% to your overall damage, or you get plus 10% to your critical backstab damage. It's just, you get these things, and these are major abilities. And then based on which of the three branches you choose, you get a set of four core abilities. And I really didn't like it at first, but I think that that based on playing kind of all three branches with my, my rogue, it works. It's simplified, so the min-maxers don't like it quite as much, but it levels the playing field, and it makes it so that you can play around more. Because it was always where you had to have one or two kinds of builds if you were raiding or if you were doing PvP. Otherwise, you weren't doing it right. And I think now there's not a... You're doing it wrong. Which I is like that. You know, there there are skills. You you still can do it wrong. Like for the rogue tree, you can have two different non-lethal poisons depending on the talents that you choose, and you can't apply them both at the same time. So taking both of those talents would be a bad thing. But it's not like, oh, what are you doing? These talents should never exist because they're not useful. So do, do we have questions yet, or am I just going to make this a monologue? <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I I haven't played WoW since before the first expansion came out, and I got to level thirty, and you know, I I felt like I had I had kind of gotten what I needed. Are there are the pandas cute? Yeah, they're pandas. I mean, I, I mean, there can be ugly pandas. I mean, are, are these pandas cute? They're, they're pandas. Like, not all pandas are cute, man. No, I just just like the the rest of World of Warcraft, the the character creator is is relatively limited. Um, I mean, there's like seven different faces and seven different hairstyles, and then your modifiers like, uh, you know, marks and earrings and crap like that. Mm. Uh, how much longer do we think World of Warcraft's gonna keep going? Like, I, uh, forever? I, well, like, I be being completely honest, the original EverQuest is still around, and it's just it's got getting a new an expansion, expansion next week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what happened to EverQuest two? Did they just give up on that? No, no that got an expansion too. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, 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 it was cool. Don't don't hate. No, now, I, I guess I, I would say that I think World of Warcraft at its current rate has about three to four more years as a subscription model. Wow. Then they turn to free to play and Make it blows money. up again. Yeah. God. I, I can't even like that will be a 10 year subscription model that they had. Yeah. Good I think that it's almost um, – I'm trying to figure out how to word this argument, but there's been a huge backlash on Blizzard uh, over Diablo 3, of course, and StarCraft 2. Like there was a Kotaku article talking about whether or not StarCraft 2 – StarCraft is competitive anymore. And it, it's almost like Blizzard wants to do WoW again, and they keep trying to make something that people are going to play for years and years and years. I just don't know. Like I, I love Diablo three. Don't get me wrong, but like I haven't played it in you know 
two months now. I haven't even turned it on. Like, I don't know if they're ever going to make another... uh, Maybe Titan will do it, but I don't know if they're ever going to do something that hits this many people this hard and this fast. I don't know. Like, that is... Wow. You never know. I mean, I, I think... I think they're, they've just got to step outside the box, you know, the original StarCraft stepped outside the box, which actually, if you are, um, uh, if you're a fan of, uh, of StarCraft or whatever, um, go to codeofhonor.com. It's the blog for the guy, uh, his name is Patrick Wyatt. Um, he was a programmer for Blizzard. He founded, uh, ArenaNet. Um, he has this fantastic blog talking about the development of StarCraft. Um, Can you get that link right now? Yes, I will. Um, uh, but it's actually it's it's the current blog, like it's the most recent one. Um, but he talks about um, going to to CES or E3 and seeing uh, a video or people playing uh, Dominion Storm from oh, yeah 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 <laughs> from Ion Storm. Um, and they, he was talking about how in the current stage of development, the original Starcraft was just supposed to be kind of Warcraft two in space because it was, they were, they were trying to fill a, okay, we need a game released this year, um, which is a very unblizzard thing, honestly. Um, and, and he mentions that, but they see this dominion storm game and, they're like, wow, we've got to go back and totally redo this because StarCraft looks like complete crap compared yeah, to Yeah, I read that article. I thought that was funny. And uh, as it turns out afterwards, they hire some of the guys from the failed uh, uh, Ion Storm in Austin or whichever studio it was. And uh, it turns out that the Dominion Storm that they saw was actually pre-rendered video, not an actual game. <laughs> It's like the Killzone 2 controversy pre-Killzone 2. It's amazing to see um, StarCraft as Warcraft in space. I mean, that's all it is. It's just it's the same damn game, and then they just went back to the drawing boards and made something really cool. I can't re- wait to read the uh, the book about Blizzard North and the guys that started Diablo. That book is hopefully going to come out at the beginning of 2013. Shack News has talked about it quite a bit. And they talk about how uh, there was an internal development of a Diablo in space. And they they were pitching it. They were like, why don't we just do a sci-fi version of Diablo? So I'm really looking forward to seeing that stuff. I can't wait to read about some of the development ideas that they had for Diablo 3. That was originally going to be an MMO. I really want to read about that stuff. That's space interesting. Siege should have been a Diablo in space, but instead it was just dumb. I just I find all this stuff very fascinating. I mean, what what we don't see in the video game industry. I mean, we, we have a controversy right now going on with uh, Irrational Games and what's going on with Bioshock Infinite. You know, I'm not too worried about that game. But then you have like the Resident Evil 1.5 version. You have the StarCraft. That's Warcraft. I love learning about this kind of stuff, like the stuff that you never got to see. And just the development process where they just said, eh, screw it. We're done with it. <laughs> I love that stuff. I, I love that stuff in gaming, just to find out what we didn't play. And it's usually for a very good reason that you didn't play it. Though, you know what? I, same with StarCraft Ghost. What's interesting is I got to play both iterations of StarCraft but Ghost. <sighs> oh, my God. I hate you. <laughs> I paid for those BlizzCon tickets. <laughs> um both both the nihilistic version and the uh, the other guys whose name escapes me right now, but it 
it's interesting because those games weren't bad. Like they were actually good games, but they weren't Blizzard games. So they canned them because they they didn't think that they could make it a a Blizzard caliber product. Yeah, uh, Blizzard is very much about making products that people are going to play for years and years and years. A single player, it, it doesn't really fit the mold. You know, a, a single player stealth action game. And I, I think they were trying to, was it the second version where they tried to put the multiplayer mode in that was going to be like uh, Command and Conquer Renegade? Yeah, and it was good. Like, that was what was that, that was what was playable at the, the last BlizzCon they were showing the game at was the multiplayer. Yeah, didn't you say you liked the first version better than the second one, though? Yeah, I did. Just, just it played better? Well, it was, it was, the first version was interesting enough coming from me. It was more stealthy. Uh-huh. Um, and the second one was more action-y. Huh. God, that that game, man. Did you did you ever get to play Warcraft Adventures? No. <laughs> that game, no, dude. If you watch the playthrough of that game, like that game had really cool looking art. Like it wasn't a Blizzard game, but it was still pretty cool. I, I love watching the videos for the uh, the Resident Evil Four uh, Hookman demo. I love watching that. Like, what would that game have been? This dude, is so cool. Warcraft Adventures got canceled when I was fourteen. <laughs> like. I, I couldn't have played it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. Before it, it was 13. It was canceled in May. So I didn't even turn 14 yet. So uh, getting back to pandas, uh, Miss of Pandaria is more wow. And it's, yeah, it's it, pretty good. It's more wow. And it's better than, you know, I obviously I didn't get to go into great detail here, um, but it's it's more wow. And it's more streamlined. I like it better than I liked Cataclysm. It's It's nice to kind of come back and have the the more classical world of warcraft experience i haven't had a chance to do any of the rage yet the dungeons are fairly standard dungeons um i mean i haven't seen anything really cool yet but i want to get into raiding there's new battlegrounds there's new pvp stuff there's it's more and it's more and it's actually you know it keeps you engaged which is more than i could say for cataclysm isn't it like it doesn't take hardly any time to level up a character anymore? Like they well, just. So one thing that's interesting is if you want to play a monk, monks start at level one, but yeah. they get like insane experience bonuses. Okay. So if you if you just want to be a, you know, I want to be uh, a monk. Okay, level up really fast, and you can actually. One of my friends got to ninety on a brand new monk before I got to 90 on my rogue who started at 85. How many hours do you think it would take to get to 90? Um, it took me about, so from 80, starting at a level 85 character, I think it took me about 25 hours to get to 90. Hmm. Um, starting as a level one monk, probably 40 or 50. Okay. Okay. Cause I, I hit about 45 hours on guild wars two so far. And I'm level like 45, 46, just cause I'm taking that at a very leisurely pace. They they kind of said at ArenaNet that they wanted like an hour per level, so I seem to be right in that. Cool. Okay, news, news, news. Throw news. more dots. Throw more dots. <laughs> I don't I, get it. It's I get it. It's from an old World of Warcraft video. It was a funny video though. Throw more dots. Yes, he has many dots. News. All right, uh, Penny Arcade. On the Rain Slick, Presence of Darkness 3 is now on iOS, Android, and the Mac. Put Virtue's Last Reward on those, please. <laughs> also, somebody buy the rights to Shadow Hearts. 
and make it on something. I don't care what. Get that Shadowrun Kickstarter organized a little bit. I want more. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anything else we want to yell? An arcade. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, More mobile stuff. Chaos Rings came out for Android. That's the pretty uh, good game. Yeah, that's the Media Vision developed RPG that had came out on uh, iOS actually like two years ago. I enjoy that game. I think yeah, it's, it's good. good. Um, really cool collector's edition is the Divinity Anthology collector's edition, which has uh, Divine Divinity Beyond Divinity and Divinity Two, um, along with posters and art books and all that kind of fun stuff. It's actually very limited. Um, let's see if it's even still in stock. Am I the only one that actually did buy the um, Nino Kuni Wrath of the White Witch collector's edition? I, I did. I bought it. I didn't. Okay. Why? I, I, I only like good JRPGs, so I'm not going to buy it. Ooh. What? Burn. Dude, I played that in E3. That game is so generic. You hate awesome. You know that? No, I hate generic, and that game is like, you know. oh, I hi, I, I am a whimsical... Uh, Studio Ghibli film, which, I mean, I like their movies. They're great. But, I mean, that game is like, here is a turn-based combat system. It is slightly different. Also, here is some music by uh, that awesome guy. I mean, it looks awesome. I'm sure it won't be, I'm sure it won't be bad. It's just... I'm a little, I'm a little wounded right now. Well, you gotta remember, St- Steven hates anything that's cel-shaded. Dragon Quest. Uh, I had 100 hours on Borderlands 2. And, like, 200 on Borderlands 1. Yeah, well, that's because you're crazy. All right, more news. Um, hey, Rob, can you, like, cover your ears for a second? Oh, God. Um, Dark Souls PC DLC came to the consoles. Okay, done. What happened? I got... I got uh, somebody dropped me from the call for a second, and now I'm back. What happened? <laughs> Zelda. Nothing. Or like, Zelda. I, I, I will destroy you. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> how much is uh, no? In all seriousness, how much is it? Fifteen bucks. Ooh. It's a lot of content. All right. Well, I'll think about. It. I, I have too many other games to play right now, but I'll think. But about it. I, it, it's it's there now. I mean, do I need to restart a game? Did did they say anything about that, or is the content just there? I don't know. You, you don't need to restart because I mean, I could burn through Dark Souls again in about ten hours at this point because I I know that game better than I know my own apartment. You don't need to restart. You just need to find the thingy. Okay, find the thingy. All okay. right. Okay. Um, there is a game coming out called Disgaea Dimension 2, which is a direct sequel to the first Disgaea. Um, Laharl. Laharl will be the hero, and Etna and Fawn will be back, and it will be more Disgaea, which means you can level up and do millions and millions of damage with one attack. That what is fun. the... Uh, okay, how many Disgaea games have been made in the past? Four. Four. Well, there, Four. there's also been... Disgaea universe, and then there's been several quasi spinoffs, like you have Phantom Brave and Makai Kingdom and Soul the Eater, per- or not Soul the- Eater, Soul, Soul Nomad. Nomad. Okay, so so there's a lot. Okay. Hey, the pretty game was cool too. I actually liked that game. Oh yeah, there were the two pretty games, like the murderously okay. difficult platformer. <laughs> Um, speaking, actually, we're going to go back to Virtue's Last Reward. Uh, Axis localized the the OVA, the the original something animation. I what does OVA stand for? Anime I, folk. I have no idea, dude. Video. Uh, original sounds, animation kind of version. Original version animation. I thought. Uh, okay. Original video animation. It's it's animu. 
Anime. Uh, that, no, wait, wait, wait. It's either Original Video Animation or Orlando Volleyball Academy. It's yes. the second one. The second one. <laughs> uh, it's 12 minutes long. Uh, we have it embedded. We have it embedded in our our news story. So, if you want to listen to that or watch that, you know, check it out. It's on RPG Fan. Um, CD Projekt Red. A couple of announcements. One, uh, The Witcher Two is now available on Mac. So if you have a nice little Intel Mac, and I guess I really don't need to say Intel Mac, considering there hasn't been a PowerPC Mac for you know half a decade, but um john just dropping bombs left and right what do you mean i, I you are just the tech man today like you <laughs> you explained how an iphone works to me for god's sake <laughs> did you want me to go into power pc and and risk no. cisc architecture okay i'm yeah glad. But, yeah then apple will send us a and and be like that's our proprietary technology oh, no, that no, we it's took not. from somebody so, else though my favorite line in a movie because it shows just how dated it is is you go back and watch hackers uh, one of the characters says, yeah, risk architecture is going to change everything. And I laugh my ass off every time I hear it. I just remember watching Hackers over and over again to, to try to catch a glimpse of Angelina Jolie's boobs. I just remember watching Hackers recently and being like, oh, my God, it's Jordan Chase from Dexter season five. Yes, it is. Well, we all pay attention to very different things. <laughs> <laughs> Hack the planet! Hack the uh, planet. Yeah. Hack the planet. Um, more, more CD Projekt Red news. Uh, their cyberpunk game is officially called Cyberpunk 2077. Cool. Oh, dude, um, that... that ugh. Sorry. I'm excited for that. Uh, that it's, game is a long way off. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it's going to be multi-threaded and non-linear. So, um, like... Shocker. Yeah. It, uh, it, is, did they make a console announcement, or are they just saying PC right now? Um, as far as I know, there hasn't been any platform announcement. It's for iPad. (laughs) I'm sure that based on the fact that it, I would guess that it's coming to PC first and then consoles potentially later. Um, that, that kind of falls in line with the modus operandi for, um, CD project, CD project. Yeah. So we're going to get it for the PlayStation four and Durango. If if you guys watch the intro video to like when they announce it, uh, Mike Pondsmith, the guy that invented cyberpunk, has the most entrancing voice. It's like listening to Morgan Freeman talk about tabletop games. Ever since, watch the video. Ever since I was a little boy, <laughs> you see, I was walking in Los Angeles, right. and then you will be hooked. I'm excited. I'm excited. I want to know more. I want so, to narrate right. the game. UFO Interactive announced that they're bringing Elmenage Original to the PSP in North America. The hell is Rather, that? They really didn't announce it. Someone found it on their website. Oops. No, no, it's, it's like it's an official entry. Like super weird. Yeah, Elmenage is a is a hardcore dungeon crawler. The PSP is a relatively dead platform. Literally, it's had like five games this year, and they've all been RPGs. Um, but it just came out of nowhere. Um, based on the information on their website, it's going to be uh, PlayStation Network only. Um, but yeah, if you like dungeon crawlers from Japan, you know, wizardry style stuff, it's it's coming. It'd be okay. You know, I wonder if... We haven't heard anything about Class of Heroes 2 in a long time, have we? No, um, I haven't had a single thing come in from Monkey Paw since E3. I think Didn't there they... was... There were a couple of screenshots that sneaked out like a month or two ago of English 
dialogue, but I mean, it was like nothing. I remember, didn't Victor Ireland post them in a thread on NeoGAF about some other game? And he was like, well, speaking of uh, games, here's uh, some screenshots from my game. I, I, I don't know. Oh, when, when you said when you said monkey when you said monkey paw, all I thought about was Treehouse of Horror and wishing for world <laughs> peace. <laughs> no, honey, that uh, was a very selfish thing you just did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm on my last bit of news, which is uh, Project Eternity. Their Kickstarter wrapped up, and they made four kajillion, or rather, just four million dollars. Uh, billion dollars. And, I cannot believe they made that much money. <laughs> like I, I'm actually super excited um, to see Oblivion do or Oblivion Obsidian. <laughs> uh, see Obsidian. They they also released a screenshot of it. The screenshot looks gorgeous for a 2D game. It's gorgeous. It's a screenshot. It yes. won't be janky. We promise. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll see what's going to happen. We had a an interview with uh, Chris from obsidian who's going to be the writer on it uh so you can read that under our features section on rpg fan and uh yeah no i'm, I'm excited I, I it's it's not going to be out for a long long time it's funny because i look at the the three kickstarters that i've i've donated to which is project eternity shadow run and uh star citizen and it's oh, like I, I was i was thinking about that one it's like i'm not going to get any of these games anytime soon yeah so uh if that's the end of your news yeah I have a I have a discussion idea, um, okay. and it's a way for me to get XCOM into the podcast. <laughs> Dude, if you if you are going to suggest we need to talk about what constitutes an RPG, no, I'm just no. hang up the call right now. You know I'm not going to do that. But here's what I was thinking. Because uh, I was bit, thinking we should discuss the char- sorry, uh, I, so the character development of my XCOM soldiers that are named after my friends in high school. Um, so a little bit more information came out about Dragon Age Inquisition. They showed like screenshots and stuff. And so as I'm playing XCOM, you know what I realized? I would really, really like it. I'd love I would love it if the next Dragon Age was turn based. Because I already play that game like a turn based RPG to begin with, because I pause every second to just like yeah. rearrange my characters and whatnot. Well, one thing that's interesting and I don't know I, I, I seriously this is a a question I don't have the answer to. Did Dragon Age 1, I know Dragon Age 2 didn't have a system where you could set it up like Baldur's Gate, Dark, or not Dark Alliance, Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2 had this where literally just every time an action would come up, the game would pause. Yeah, two, you, didn't, ha- you, two didn't really have that, if I one recall. Didn't have, uh, one didn't have it. I mean, uh, you could, you would sit there and like watch your mage cast an ice spell, and then as soon as I saw that he was going back to a regular attack in the window, I would pause with the space bar. Yeah, but I thought on the PC version you could have, like, there was an option to say pause when this happens. Really? Is there? I, 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 I don't I, know. Uh, I can't remember. It's been a, I didn't really care for the first one as much. But one, no, the, I think that, I, I can agree with you in some sense, but I think that the concept of, okay, I need to make this pure turn-based is they would have to change the system at least a little bit because in Baldur's Gate, I really didn't think the, the okay, we're going to pause this every time an action comes up. It, it doesn't work if it's pausing every three seconds or it doesn't work if it's pausing every couple of seconds. XCOM works because it's your turn. And then it's the alien's turn. I know. And I, then it's your turn. Yeah. I think what, what really ticked me off about 
Dragon Age 1 and then in a different way in Dragon Age 2 was just the utter chaos of battle. And it was like, especially in Dragon Age 2 where like enemies would just spawn on top of you. I love it when they just dropped ropes down and I was in the middle of like an open field and I'm like, what? How did they just show up? Like, okay, whatever. And so what I love about Dragon Your Age... Your party has been waylaid and must defend itself. Yeah, like, I, I, I love... You must gather your party before venturing forth. <laughs> you must gather your party before venturing forth. I want to play the Dragon Age games very tactically. And and to in a way, I did. When I started playing as a rogue in Dragon Age Origins, I would always, you know, position my rogue behind whoever my tank was fighting and just have them stab somebody to oblivion. I would love it if Dragon Age was more tactical because they're trying to make it tactical, but it seems like RPGs, as, as I'm sitting there playing XCOM and I'm really thinking about each one of my moves and I'm trying to be very careful, I then think, like, why is it that all these RPGs are moving away from the whole turn-based thing? It's like turn-based has become like taboo. And because want... Call of Duty isn't turn-based and everybody wants to make tons of money. Project it makes me so angry. Pro- Project Eternity is going to be turn-based. Shadowrun yeah, Shadow Run Returns is going to be turn-based. That's yeah, but th- those are all Kickstarter games. And I think yeah. – actually, I think if those games do well, you'll start to see big publishers actually say, oh, yeah, it's okay to make these kind of games. That's what I want to see. Like I'm playing XCOM and and I want Dragon Age to play like this, where you can still have it be murderously hard and very in depth and like almost terrifying in a way. Like there's that one room in the Mage's Tower in Origins where you're fighting skeletons and then a door flings open and a mage comes in and if you don't go after that mage in like three seconds, he just fireballs your whole party. And I just remember how pissed I was at that. But like because of how cumbersome the pausing and the scrolling around and the moving guys around it was really really hard to play that game and i'm sitting there like i want bioware to be brave enough to say we want to make a turn-based game like the old school Baldur's gate well i think bioware wants to do that and is brave enough to do that but remember you know it it that's the one downside of having major funding behind you and now being owned by a publisher yeah is that what may be a logical move for making a very fun game is not always the logical move for making money. I even like Final. I, I would have enjoyed Final Fantasy Thirteen if I just felt like I had a little bit more control. No, like I just, you wouldn't have. <laughs> okay, maybe not in terms of the story, characters, or plot. But uh, so no aspect <laughs> would have pleased you is what you're saying. Except maybe the gameplay. But uh, but like I just I I'm a control freak when I'm playing a video game. I want to have control and like. These games feel so slippery to me, and like putting a pause button in there doesn't suddenly make your game tactically efficient. No, it doesn't I, fix the I, problem. I, I've got to disagree. Well, I, I don't think that it, you're right that it doesn't change it, but you say, oh, we need to go back to turn based. Dragon Age Origins plays just like Baldur's Gate. No, I, I wasn't saying that Baldur's Gate is like the the height of turn based strategy. I've never even played Baldur's Gate, but I'm just saying that, like, uh, I don't know. I feel like Dragon Age Origins plays similarly, but I don't know. I always I, – I don't know. Maybe it was rose-colored glasses, but Baldur's Gate, I found the combat to be fantastic and thrilling. And in Dragon Age 1, I just felt like it was like, okay, all my mages are going to shoot and cage and do stuff, and my warriors will just keep hitting things. Because well, everything made after World of Warcraft means you have to have a tank, a healer, and a DPS. Well, that well, was I, bigger, th- I, sort of I think that uh, one of the things that was different with um, – Dragon Age Origins was even though you had different types of things under the same class, you really didn't have that that variance of 
stuff to do. Mm. Yeah. I, I just really want Dragon Age 3 to be brave and to do some really cool things. Not not even necessarily turn-based, but like all they've talked about so far is they, they said like, oh, our, our maps, even our tiny dungeons are twice the size of Kirkwall. I can't, rem- I can't remember exactly what they said, but they said like our smallest maps are bigger than like the entire map of Dragon Age 2. And I'm like, okay, bigger isn't necessary. The... That wasn't one of the only problems with Dragon Age 2. The the problems with Dragon Age 2 were the the respawning enemies, the reused environments, and the combat just being kind of blah when you don't set up fun encounters. Like that that combat system what made Origins kind of fun was like each room was like its own different type of encounter and Dragon Age 2 when, you know, ninjas just spawn out of the ceiling, it gets a little silly. And I I, I don't know, it's just I I'm hopeful but so far, what I've heard and what I've seen, I'm like, okay, I, I think you guys are just going to make a bigger game. I don't necessarily know if you're going to make a better game. And I'm, it, it could just be that I'm snake bit by Bioware right now. And I, I'm sitting here going like, well, I haven't enjoyed your last two games nearly as much as the two games before that. But okay, let's see what you do. I just was playing XCOM and going, I would be okay if this was a little bit more turn and tactics based instead of having that like ridiculous... Uh, Final Fantasy 12 style gambit system that didn't work that never worked properly if you try to do any semblance of tactical order you had to pause that game and reassign characters anyway so why not just make that one of the key parts of the gameplay yeah I don't know. I'm rambling but I just it was just an enlightening moment where I was like god damn I would really like the game if it played like this a little bit more control that's that's all I look for in my RPGs I really like control Really? I would never have guessed. I know, right? Okay, so uh, I guess that does it for the regular portion of the show. Stephen, one more time with the uh, the interview portion. Wait, 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 wait. We can't. Uh, what? We, wait, we can't end yet. We must gather our party before venturing forth. It, what agree. is that a reference to? I don't get it. It's, it's, you must gather your party before venturing forth. You must gather your party before venturing forth. Is that from Ultima? No, that's from no! Gate. Oh, okay. I never played Baldur's Gate. Well, did you play Ultima? Uh, uh, like for two seconds, and I was like, what's my inventory? Screw this. Screw it up, then. Well, Rob, you have a project, then, because if if you're going all in on this, ah, we need classical turn-based stuff, you need to play Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate 2. Well, you know what? Actually, perfectly, because coming out soon is going to be the enhanced edition of the first one. Unless they delay uh-huh. it three days from release again. <laughs> we, 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 we already argued about that last time. We don't need to, to pile on on that. No, but. I'm not piling on. It's just I really wanted to play that damn game. <laughs> it's going to fix the multiplayer, or at least they said it's going to fix the multiplayer. I, I want to play that game quite a bit. So at least I, oh God, I have that to play too. Huh? So many games to play. Okay, so uh, regular portion of the show over, guys? Now? Yes? Yes, we gathered our party. Rob, I think you should play White Knight Concerto. Wait, no. Uh, White Knight Chronicle. No. Because you would love that game. Nobody should play that game. Because Rob loves control, and that game gives you oodles of it. I have a feeling that Steven is setting me up to fail right now. He is. I am. Uh, So, Steven, one more time, you want to tell everybody about our interview that's coming up? Yes, uh, our interview coming up is with... uh, Cesar and uh, Richard from Phoenix Online Studios, the minds behind The Silver Lining, the King's Quest fan game, and Cognition, and Erica Reed thriller, which will be out by the time you hear this, and my review will be out by the time you hear this. 
All right, sounds good. As always, you can reach us on uh, our... our <laughs> Let me try again. Yep, that's where you can reach us. Yep, there you go. Uh, you can reach us at podcast at rpgfan.com. Please ask us questions. We actually have a few questions on there right now, so we might actually do another listener feedback episode in the future. Uh, make sure to review us on iTunes. We love positive reviews. Yay, make us feel good about ourselves. we got to catch up to 8-4 Play, and we're not even close but anywho uh yeah thanks again guys and we will see y'all later welcome everybody to an rpg fan interview uh i'm here today with our normal host but today i am the boss uh rob steinman he's in charge <laughs> yes i am charles in charge though wow that was horrible all right I'm Stephen Myring, uh, and I'm here today with uh, two gentlemen from Phoenix Online Studios who are noted for The Silver Lining, which was the uh, King's Quest fan game that had a very arduous path to release. And at this point, it is now it has a non-commercial license. So it, it's, you know, it's an official game at this point. Uh, they're on episode four of that. But we're here to talk today about their first commercial release, uh, Cognition and Erica Reed Thriller. Uh, so if you gentlemen would like to introduce yourselves and, you know, talk a little bit about how you're involved with the project. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Cesar Vitar, and uh, thank you guys for having us here. I'm the designer and producer of the game, or one of the designers of the game. And then we have Richard Flores here. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm Richard Flores. I'm the technical art director on the project, so I basically manage the entire art team and my responsibility is to bridge the gap between all the artists and the programmers so that we can take all the beautiful artwork that they do and actually mesh it all into an actual coherent game. That's my task on the project. Okay, fantastic. Um, now, actually, that, that makes me think of a I have a list, like I said before the show, I have a list of questions, but I also, you know, I want to have it as a little more of an open discussion, too, since the game is so close to release, and I'm sure you guys have done several interviews at this point anyway. So um, now I know are, you guys are all in different places, right? You're not all like you're not going to an office. You guys actually are corresponding, I'm guessing, by Skype um, and that sort of thing. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, how, how it was different from TSL, which was, you know, it was a, a free project, whereas this is an actual commercial release. Uh, have you felt like, you know, there's a little more pressure or, you know, how, how have things been different developing Cognition versus uh, Silver Lining? I would have to say the biggest difference there's been is that this being an actual commercial project and our ability to pay our staff uh, a, a living wage so that they could actually focus 100% on this project is what's made the big difference. With the silver lining, it was always a hobby project, the majority of them. I mean, me and me and Sez were working more full-time on it because we wanted to try to turn this into a real company. But the rest of the staff was always the few hours they had when they got home from the office, you know, Several days a week, they were able to put in like three, four hours, and uh, so that—that's the big difference. Is we are we're able to do a lot more in a much shorter amount of time because we can all meet up at like uh, at 1 p.m. Eastern, do a daily scrum with the whole team, know what everybody's doing, and then everybody can go off and do their thing, and we don't have to wait around for weeks upon weeks for things to get delivered by people who just don't have much time to commit to a project. Mm. And as a producer, that is a dream come true, <laughs> especially <laughs> coming from uh, what Rich was saying with the silver lining, just trying to deal with the time that we had whenever we had it. 
and you know try to get whatever we could out of people from here that we have you know we started to organize everything and like he said we do meetings every day at 1 p.m pacific uh, eastern time which is my 10 a.m over here in california so that kicks in the day um you know just to work through and we work long hours and we work weird hours too because i, I guess that that's the evil of not having an office uh, you work at your, yeah you work you work at your place and then you're like two steps from work all, all the time you can never get away from it you know, even when you have some downtime you're like well i could just go do this and that and then 15 minutes turns into an hour and an hour turns into six hours and then <laughs> You know, you just can't escape it. It's a lot easier to to define the line between work and home when you don't actually work from home. Yeah, I can appreciate that. That I kind of feel the same way whenever I'm doing things for the website for RPG Fan. Is like, oh, well, I'm sitting at my desk anyway. I could sit and relax, or well, I could do something productive. And and then it turns out five hours later, you, you've done plenty of productive things and not relaxed at all. So or the other way around. Yeah, you've done nothing for Should five be hours and you and feel you, bad about you it. You spend your day playing video games. That happens on occasion, but yeah, you know, hey, it's a balance. Finding that balance is part of the is part of the job. I think that's why I don't play that many adventure games on the PC anymore. Just because whenever I sit to play anything on the PC, my Skype just keeps going off and off and off, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> like okay, maybe this was a bad idea. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Having, uh, you know, I, I mentioned a lot in my written preview, which is live now, and by the time this goes up, it'll have been probably bumped off the front page. But, um, you know, I've played a lot of adventure games, and recently, you know, you've had Telltale having huge success with uh, The Walking Dead and to a lesser extent Back to the Future, and I guess Jurassic Park came out. I didn't even play it, but, you know, they, they, they've sort of been popularizing a, a different style of adventure game from the old Sierra classics that I personally see you guys' projects model more after. Was there any, when you guys were designing Cognition, um, you know, did you say, you know, we want to have more of a focus on maybe gameplay or narrative or, you know, how, how did you, when you were, you know, conceiving of the project, you know, what were some of the goals you had in mind for Cognition, you know, in terms of like the meta adventure game? Because, you know, you have that style of, oh, here's a LucasArts game with lots of narrative and lots of dialogue. At least this is how I look at it. And then you have the Sierra game where you have, maybe not necessarily obtuse puzzles, but much more complex puzzles and a lot more variables going in at any one point for you to deal with. You know, you have Telltale on the one hand where it's it's a little simpler to figure out how to make your way through and it's very cinematic, you know, that sort of thing. How, how, what did, you know, what can you guys tell me in regards to cognition on that? You know, I, when, I, when I design a game, I like to design a game that I want to play. And we're all obviously in Phoenix Online where we, you know, whereas, uh, Telltale is is more keen to LucasArts side of things because they, they you know they they used to work at LucasArts. Uh, we're all fans of Sierra, so that that's Woo-hoo! how we came together. And uh, yeah, and and that that's what we like. We we grew up playing the space space quest and King's quest and police quest and Gabriel Knight. And so that's 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 what I personally like um although I do understand that you know some some of those games were really frustrating at the time and I, I don't think that I would have the patience today to to play one of those games but I like <laughs> I like I like the exploration of them I like to be able to have that freedom to go whatever you go you know these days I you know even in action games or RPGs I like the games where you have the freedom to choose your levels uh, 
that's why I, I guess that's why I love Mega Man because you get like eight levels from right from the beginning and you choose which one you want to go as opposed to go into, you know, a straight path. So there's there's a little bit of that um, in, in which we want to offer the exploration. Um, but I also wanted to make sure that on, on you know, the difficulty, uh, the learning curves just just keep just goes up. And, and so towards the beginning of cognition, things are you know, very logical, very simple. As you get towards the end of the episode, things continue to be logical because I wanted to make sure that there's always logic behind every puzzle that you solve. But then it, it starts to become a little bit more difficult. Um, but there's always a sense of exploring. That 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 was one of the things that, that was really important to me, and especially in adventure games. For me personally, too, I, you know, having played the game up to this point, I, I think I'm about at the midpoint. I definitely got that vibe where, you know, in the, in the introduction, it's like you find a hammer and a pair of wire cutters, and the only things you find to interact with are a thing that needs to be hammered and a set of wires. <laughs> so you go, well, uh, it's not like, you know, an old Sierra game where it's like, well, I had to find the bird to unlock the door across town to get the fish hook to find a piece of cheese. You know, it's, you know, it's not that sort of thing. But as I've gotten further in, I found that there's still logic there behind the puzzles. But you have so much more space to explore that it's a matter of, okay, I found this thing over here. Now, I, you know, I have a goal. I have to get into this office. You know, what can I do to get into this office? And I, I personally immediately thought of what, what the solution was. I won't say it because I don't want to drop any, you know, gameplay spoilers. But And I was happy that I said, okay, that makes sense. I went there. It was there. Perfect. So It is definitely one of those things where because cognition is more of a realistic adventure game there are limitations into what you can mix together to to find a solution you know and this was you could also see it in the old sierra games between like king's quest and space quest <laughs> and then you go to a game like gabriel knight for example or police quest where those are more grounded so the notion of intermixing different weird objects together doesn't quite fit in that setting quite as well so that's one of those reasons that i think there's a little bit more logic involved in the the cognition puzzles than you would see in a King's Quest game. And you can see it also in the Silver Lining where there was also logic there, but some things were a little bit more out of left field than you would in cognition. And I, I think for that game, that, that made sense because, you know, it's a King's Quest, it's a King's Quest right. game. You know, you expect a certain amount of what when you're playing it. Whereas I think that really will help with cognition, you know, getting an audience because gaming has changed so much since King's Quest was, you know, huge that... You know, now people have such limited time and there are so many options. They're going to sit down and go, oh, well, I can't figure this out, so I'm done. Whereas with cognition, yeah. it's, uh, you know, a little bit of intuition, you know, to, to make a, a game-related pun, I guess, uh, you know, will actually take you somewhere. And I think that will really help in terms of finding an audience, at least, you know, from my perspective. And it, and it is a fine line. I mean, me, me and Sez and Katie have long had, and even on the Slavonian, we had long arguments about, we want this to be true to the original Sierra game, so it should be done this way. And then Cesar would argue, well, no, nowadays people don't have the patience for this type of thing, so we shouldn't do it this way. This is why Telltale approaches their games in a certain way. So it's always like a give and take on just how complicated you want to do certain things. I mean, personally, to a certain degree, I still find the old text keyboard adventure games were gave, gave you the illusion of more freedom, whereas on Cognition... The, now we have hot spots on the screen, and on, honestly, that was a discussion for a little while between the designers about do, do we want the hot spots? Does that make it too obvious? Does that 
break the illusion of freedom and so forth. So there's been a lot of, of that and just trying to find a way to modernize the games without going necessarily the entire direction Telltale went because for them, I with them, I find it's more of a interactive movie more yeah, than I agree. Game. Yeah. So it's finding that balance, to be honest. And, but at and, the same time, you, nowadays you would never... I remember with King's Quest, I would stay stuck on the on a game on the game for like <laughs> three months until you found the solution. Nowadays, you know, somebody would not wait that long if they don't find a solution in a day. Yeah, I, I actually. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that, and, and, and you know what Rich is saying is is right. They, they'll move on from that, and and or they'll they'll get distracted by Facebook, and <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so you wanna keep you wanna keep people inside the game, um, and so that's why you know when I when I work on the puzzles, I always had the question: Okay, is this too out of field? Is is this too too left field? Too is is this intuitive enough? And 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 so you know, for to to keep the interesting gameplay going on, I you know I, I came up with the idea. Well, what if she had any a, a power that, you know, it, it could help her uh, through the the you know the things that she does, and that's why that's how cognition came on because I I always like to somehow bend a little bit the uh, the adventure. Uh, the classic adventure design. That's why you know we included something like the fight at the end of episode four uh, for the silver lining, or in or something like this in cognition, because this is something that that you see more in an RPG or or an action game where people have powers and they use them. Um, I, ju I just want to make a note here because I do know we got mixed mixed reviews sometimes for the action sequences in the silver lining. There's nothing quite like that <laughs> in this game. So when yeah. I search Cesar compared it to if they're not they don't really compare i mean this really is more yeah. like like a like a power you might have had in quest for glory or something it's more like it's an like it's an extension of the character and not it's not an rpg game because I, I do know if, gamers if, get turned if, off by that by that word yeah no, if you want to if you want to compare it to something it's something a little more akin to seven max season three the powers that you had in that game um, so it's very adventure related and actually everybody that's seen it they they really really like the mechanics well, I, I, the game will be out by the time we talk about it. So there, there's this one puzzle early in the game where I was actually brought on board by that ability. Because at first I said, oh, I hope this isn't just, you know, a hint system, which it isn't. The text messaging is hints, which fantastic way of getting that into the game, I have to tell you guys. But the, the cognition, when you are springing the very first trap in the game and you actually have to, you know, make use of, like, logic. Like, I'm a police or I'm an FBI agent, so... I have a guy who is going to be good at disarming these things. So I, you know, by sending him, you know, I don't want to spoil it, but the way the power was used there was it made sense and it was quick, but it still required you to figure out the solution. It wasn't a question of, oh, you've used your cognition power. Here is the solution. It was, you know, you have to use this with a little bit of thinking and, you know, how did it work out? And when I saw that, in all honesty, it was. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lavish a little bit of praise here. It was more satisfying solving that puzzle for me than it has been in an adventure game in a long time, probably since the Zodiac puzzle in episode two of TSL. But I digress. <laughs> that, that puzzle had me ripping my hair out. Conversely, thank you for not including a fight sequence in Cognition. I, I, I love you guys, but I was not a fan of the fight in episode okay. four. But I, I appreciated that. You know, you guys were trying to change it up a little bit, at least. I mean, and that, that, that was what we were trying to do there, just kind of try things out, see what works, see what doesn't. We had the benefit it was a free game, so, you know, I think there was a little bit more uh, forgiveness from people for, for that kind of stuff. Uh, 
but also the silver lining did prove to us one interesting thing is you know we're when there's that argument of the game being has to be easy enough to get through on the silver lining we got a lot of you know of kickback from the audience going these games are too easy like the first first well the first episode they had that many puzzles but even the second one are like this is not challenging enough we want a challenge so that's also been a very one of those things that we've had to find you know to discover the fine line between too easy and too hard because apparently that's what people are missing nowadays in certain games is the actual mm -hmm. challenge of finishing it so, yeah, yeah i love i love i love heavy rain but i always get wanting a challenge from the game and i never i never got that it, it was it was an interactive story and i wanted to have you know there, there was so much uh missed opportunity to have a challenge on how to you know figure out where you had to go next or so, so many things that could have been turned into a great puzzle. And I understand why they, they, they were in. That was not the goal of Heavy Rain. But as much as I loved it, I always miss the challenge. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. Because with that, again, not, not like a Telltale game, but that was definitely a narrative-focused game where the actions weren't meant to be complex. It was just meant that your interaction with the world was that, that sort of thing. It wasn't a, here is a logical puzzle you must solve with inventory mm -hmm. and a little bit of intuition. Exactly. Stephen won't let me talk about Heavy Rain. Yeah, well, uh, if, if Rob starts talking about Heavy Rain, we need to cut him off. <laughs> well, I is mean, that, Seth, that, I that good way or liked Heavy Rain and we played it. It's not, you know, it was it was interesting. And honestly, we looked to it as as a guide for where we want to take our, not necessarily from a design standpoint, but from a quality standpoint, we would like to eventually kind of get to that level. I think Telltale is more within reach at the moment, but we still look past Telltale to to Heavy Rain and see like there's a lot of good, nice things that they did that we would like to yeah, try you, to introduce down the line. You definitely have to start somewhere, and I even you know I even wrote that it, it gave me vibes of Heavy Rain when I was playing it. I got a you know thematically it's very similar, and I think it, it's definitely in the same vein. So it, I, I think you're on your way in that regard. And I have to say, I mean, because I wasn't involved in the entire design process, I let that too. Cesar and Katie, and I was presently surprised when I saw the branches in Cognition. I'm not sure if if you noticed it when you were playing, but there are some places where there are several ways of solving a puzzle, which I find is a nice throwback to the original CR games, because that especially the early, early ones, most puzzles, most puzzles had like two or three solutions to them. Some of them, you know, you would hit a dead end with, but it was just interesting because you could really approach things from a different way and never even notice it. And I, I find that aspect of it is actually in cognition and says and Kitty were actually able to to make that work this time yeah. around. Yeah, I definitely yeah. I, I started to notice that as I was playing. Um I, I I'm probably actually going to play through it again just to see, you know, I want to get a better sense of that. Um you know I never ran into a oh oops you gave the golden needle to Madame Mushka, you're screwed. But uh <laughs> you know it, it was at least, you know I, I could see in certain situations, oh I probably could have solved this a different way. I want to go back and actually try that. Yeah, there's there's uh, it 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 comes a lot through the dialogues when you have to make a choice. That's a choice that matters. If you uh, let's just say I'll give you an example. When you sit down in your desk and Sully comes up to you and he tells you to go to lunch, what you reply to him changes the whole mechanic of the game a little bit later on. Uh, yeah. If and and then there there are about eight places where you can make choices like that or. For example, you could not not solve the the uh, the the puzzle, the trap puzzle in in the in the, in the tomb, and that gives you a totally different ending to <laughs> the one that you saw. 
Yeah, that's uh, what happened to me the first time, actually, because yeah. I went, ooh, wires, I'm going to cut one, snap. And then, <laughs> oh, wait, there was a certain order I had to do that in. Yeah, and you can keep playing. I mean, you'll keep playing, and, and then you'll see a different cutscene uh, at the end of that. Um, or how you decide to answer uh, Davies in the crime scene. That that gives you, uh, if, if, depending on how you uh, how, what answers you give her, you'll see a cutscene or you won't see it, and, and then things will be different in in Act Three, or you know when you in, in the next day when you go back to the FBI station. So there there's a lot of little things like that that uh, add a lot of repeatability, I think, and and should be great for people to find out to find out what happens if I do this this way or if I reply in a different way to this character. I think that um, is kind of w- what you get in these sort of games too because again my personal favorite adventure is King's Quest 6 and that one has a zillion different ways you can do things and you know a- as a kid I would go through and just play it and intentionally try to do weird stuff to see different things and I like that you guys have managed at least from what I've seen so far I actually didn't know that different responses to Davies would impact things later, so I'll have to try that later and be a fool. But, uh, you know, that I, I I find it interesting that you guys, you know, managed to bring that, you know, into a little more of a modern game. Yeah, and honestly, I think as we move forward with our games, you may, you'll probably see more of that. That's that's an aspect of things that we really like. It's more, yeah. from a programming standpoint, the more branches you put in, the more complicated it gets. So I know, yeah. like, on the programming side, we had to set things up. They don't like Cesar quite as much for because of that but i think the end result was quite uh, was quite weird. i mean obviously we wanted to take it we wanted to take it further but we you know we we raised the question of okay do we want to take it down the line with different episodes like what option whatever you d- decide to do in episode one affects episode four and that would have been really cool but we 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 realized if we go that route that's going to be very complicated for us to keep up with at this point of our you know of our of our company life so we decided to do it within every episode a little bit of that for every episode and then but you know the the future is you know that every decisions that if we keep if we continue to keep doing episodic games which is what what we want to do is that they're going to be whatever decisions that you make in episode one are going to affect episode three down the line so that that's that's the long term goal that, that we have for for our games. I think I, I think you uh, you know definitely it is a good start there too, and you are starting to see that more often. You know I you know you had that with Mass Effect. You know you, oh you finished the first one. That's an RPG, but you know you finished the first one. You know your decisions carry over. Um, you know and you get to see how they play out. And I you know I still haven't managed to sink a ton of time into it, but you know Telltale's Walking Dead has that oh you know who's going to live, who's going to die, who'd you feed, and that plays through later. So. It, it does seem like having those kind of decisions in in an episode individually, you know, will eventually grow to, hey, you, you know, you gave that guy a donut in the first episode. He loves you in the fourth episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and um, that's that's how you know it 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 it's small. It it it's not very impactful, but it does add. A, a, a different experience to people who who want to try and play the game again and try different things, and that's that's what we were looking for because uh, you know you can you can either choose to be an ass with this guy or not, and 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 that changes the way that he'll help you or not help you in the next puzzle. So that that's what we wanted to to take, and and you know I, as as we continue to grow again and and we have the 
we have more people or and, and or more experience and the ability to do more um, we'll we'll keep on adding that stuff that that's actually really great I, I i did like you know i'm i'm personally it's kind of funny because on the on the gaming side i'm personally i hate to to make a choice because i always feel like i made the wrong choice and i wanted to do the other thing uh, but I, but I do understand how important that is, especially in, in today's gaming world, and, and how people really love that. Are you guys using the Unity engine that you used for uh, the Silver Lining for this game? Actually, for the Silver Lining, we use the Torque engine, which is a much older, more outdated engine. Ah, now, okay. we, now we've switched oh, over to uh, Unity for. I was wrong. Yeah. Um, we will be using Unity for Episode Five of the Silver Lining, and now when it comes out. It'll be a complete, the look will probably be a little different. It'll be more advanced because of that. In fact, we did that on purpose so that all the improvements and the new pipeline that we developed for cognition will be, allow us to put, put the silver lining out more quickly and in a better, uh, in better shape than the original four episodes. Oh, yeah. interesting. So uh, in the last 10 months, we've actually created the two main tools that we're, that we're using to develop this game, which is a cinematic tool and the scripting tool and a conversation tool as well. So that's that's all been together put from the ground since January when we started working on, on Cognition. So uh, right now, for which we're already working on, on our next game um, that I cannot say much about, but uh, we're working on version 2.0 of those tools. So we'll keep improving as we go. So did you did you find that since you changed engines, you know, was there a lot of a learning curve or you oh, know? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one of those things like you're learning to walk all over again because you know you can do it and you know like, but you don't know how to do it in this new environment or the tool that you've been relying on for so long in the original game engine no longer exists, or you have to rebuild it from scratch. So I, I'd say there was a good like six months of that was just like rebuilding the pipeline, and. Yeah. You know, at the same time, and that's the tricky thing is you want to rebuild, you want to build a new pipeline, so you want to make it better. Same time, you're learning how the engine works, so you have to make sure that you don't completely change it because you're familiar with all your entire team is familiar with an entirely different process. So that's why we're kind of excited about, you know, we had we have tool 1.0 now that we've done cognition with. Now we can finally revise it and try to like bring up the level for for our next game. And honestly, I think you'll probably see an improvement in. Cognition episodes two, three, and four, because a lot of the improvements we're making for our next game will probably get ported into the pipeline for those. So it's an ever, ever growing experience for us. And I mean, as you can, as you probably remember from the Silver Lining, the first episode had a lot of problems and bugs. And as we progressively went through the episodes, we tried to fix those things. You'll probably see the same thing with Cognition. It'll get better and better up until the end. Yeah, and um, yeah, because I mean, our, our main goal with that was, you know, we wanted with TSL, you you needed to really be a scripter if you wanted to touch any sequences, and and I always saw that as, as something that that really hindered us because obviously th th there was only a few few of us that that could even try to do that. So we wanted to put the uh, the the cinematic tools in in the hands of animators so that they could. Um, do the whole talking between characters, and that's how you know we we feel that we improved a lot on that from from TSL, and that's partly because um, now all the conversations were put in the hands of animators, and and that's why we built this cinematic tool to make it easy for them to to use. Yeah, and a big difference from the Silver Lining to here is in the Silver Lining we had a bunch of pre-made, you know, 
six second animations that we'll, that we would use per line. Uh, which one works best for this line? This line with the with cognition, we start a new process where the clips are a lot smaller, but because the the cinematic artists have more freedom with it, they can actually be more like a DJ and splice different animations together to make something a little bit more visually interesting. So I definitely I, noticed that too, because I remember with TSL, you you know you kind of had your box with conversation stuff on the bottom, and then you know, King Graham would just be like, oh, yes, and I, then I did this, and then I did that. And, you know, for, for that game, it was like, okay, that's fine, you know. Well, I, I That was one of the first things I noticed in Cognition, that is everything has a much more cinematic look to it, A, because of the, the art design, uh, and, you know, B, just because of, you know, animations. Like, occasionally, you know, I, I'd run into something goofy where, like, you know, and that may have just been, like, you know, a goofy glitch or something where Erica's eyes would roll backwards. But by and large, you would have these conversations that seemed so much more natural because she'd be looking at the person and gesticulating at them. And the other person would be, you know, nodding while they were talking. I, I definitely noticed that. Good. And yeah, so we, there are a couple of places where I think her eyes do roll into her skull. We did try to fix those, but you know, can't catch them all. So you work towards it, you know, exactly. And, and that's our view on things is we know like the game is not perfect. It's got its rough edges, but as we go through the game, we'll try to, to improve on those things and make it better and better and better. I think so. I, I think you guys are in a better position than a lot of games because a lot of games have a bad foundation. So anything you do on top doesn't matter. Right. You know? exactly. Whereas here, you guys have a core of really great art design. You have fantastic music. I, I love the music, but I, I run the soundtrack section, RPG fan. So I, I notice the music first every time. Um, you know, you have you know you have the good writing and all that, and I, I like the puzzle design a lot. So, having a good foundation to build on, you know, I personally am a lot more, you know, well, whatever, you know, her, her eyes rolled the back of her head, but I don't really care because I'm interested in the conversation. Yeah. Um, and the one thing, and this is a history that we've had with our game release that I want to continue is that we always take the feedback we get from like the previous episode and try to try to take care of it or correct it or you know, apply it somewhere down the line if we can at the moment because of you know, deadlines. And I, I found that that's helped us. Like, uh, even after the first episode of the Silver Lining came out, there was a lot of feedback. You know, we couldn't fix everything at once, but you guys fixed try a lot, to deal though. with things as we could as we could go along. And I think it's it's an interesting thing because not many not many game developers necessarily do that. Mostly because they don't all do episodic games that, that give you that benefit. But you know. It's nice to get the critiques from your your fan base and be able to to try and improve it and appeal to their to their likes a little bit more. I actually had a canned question of, you know, are, are you guys planning to do that? Because that was something I was actually really impressed with with TSL was, you know, I, I would go on the message board. If I had a bug, there were like 10 other people talking about it, and you guys were there actually like, all right, well, what happened when you got the bug? Can you send us this? Can you send us that? And, you know, I both as a member, as a guy who writes about games and as a guy who has played them forever and ever, you know, to see someone taking that much interest in their project makes me, you know, it, that's the kind of thing you want to have when you're playing a game, especially a story-based game. You know, it, it, you know, it personally makes me feel as if you guys actually care, which is, if we you do. ask me, fantastic. We do, we do, we do. I mean, we care, we care about our fans all the way. Um, that's why, you know, we have our forums, and we ourselves are there in the forums talking to them, just because I want, I want to, I want to hear what what they think. I want to hear their feedback. I want to know what they like and what they don't like because. We're making these games for you, not not for anybody else, right? So the the more that I the, the more that that we can uh, cater to our fans, the the, the better. Um, 
and, uh, think, and our lead that... programmer who who did a lot of the of that very stuff you were talking about in the forums, he's gearing up for the release of of uh, Cognition. I think I've already seen him starting to post things in the technical support forum, which probably made viewable to the public soon. And uh, he's ready. He's ready to go on that stuff because he too wants the the games to improve as much as possible over over the yeah. course of uh, the next few episodes. I mean, it may, it may sound a little cheesy for me to say this, but uh, one, one of the things that I really, really, really like about Sierra is that it made you feel like part of a family. It was it was not only a collection of games, but it, it, you, you felt like you were part of something big. And and today we have a bigger tools to 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 reach our fans and and to have that more of that feeling. So that that's one of our at least that's one of my goals at Phoenix Online is to you know create a, a, a little bit of that family sense that that Sierra that we had with Sierra. Um, I don't think that's cheesy at all. Actually, that's I, I I like hearing that because you know as a kid I would you know buy the King's Quest collection or whatever or my dad would have it or you know I'd pick up you know one of the manuals and you have all this background dialogue with you know in jokes with the Sierra developers because you know you had Roberta and Ken Williams and you had this really tight knit group of people who were enjoying what they were doing and all the in-jokes kind of brought you into that world. So I can totally see where you're coming with that. And I definitely think you guys have that, you know, w with some of like the jokes in the game, like, well, I, I didn't think it was very funny, but I'm playing, you know, the game is not out yet. I'm playing it. And there's a button for TSL five. And I was very disappointed to find that it didn't do anything yet. <laughs> huh? Maybe it will in a later episode. You never know. And then, you know, you had Eric be there for a reason, right? So. Yeah, certainly. It, you know, you had Erica kind of commenting on it and making it an in joke. And I vaguely recall from episode two, Graham having a joke about Walmart I, or the, the, the narrator having a joke that was yeah. not, not part of the experience, but I found it hilarious. I said, you know, these guys are having fun with it. I, that, that's what I want to see. Uh, although, although with the silver lining, we did learn the lesson that you don't want to break the fourth wall too often. We did actually get a little bit of kickback from that too sometimes. Uh, really? That, that, that's interesting. I mean, King's Quest Six broke the fourth wall. I mean, if you were on the logic cliffs and you kept walking Alexander off the steps, you'd be like, hey, stop making me fall. Yeah, We might have just been doing it too often for, yeah. for yeah. people's taste. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where you think you have an idea, and you're like, oh, this could be really cool. And then it, then it comes out, you're like, oh, you know, maybe it didn't work out quite the way we, we envisioned originally. Because there's a lot of fans out there, and King's Quest and these all the other Sierra games have touched them in a different way. So it's like, you know, there's different aspects of it that they all like. So what we liked about the games, not necessarily what somebody else did and so forth. Yeah, yeah very true. So I, I have two more, you know, actual questions, then we can wrap up, you know, if anyone wants to say anything. But... Uh, so you have uh, Romano and Jane involved with this game. You know, what, what, what was the capacity like with that? Like, I know, you know, with you, you know, directing the art, you know, what sort of, you know, interplay did you have? Like, you know, was who was, you know, who was doing most of the art? You know, what was Jane's capacity? And like, oh, did you, did you write something and say, hey, what do you think of this? Or, you know, did she write anything? What, what sort of, what was that relationship like? Well, Romano, to be honest, he's responsible for the entire look of the game. Uh, the way Cognition actually evolved was that it was actually going to be a game developed by another studio called Kaon. And they had started, a, they had started actually the development of the game and the kind of artwork. And ultimately, it, didn't just, it just didn't gel properly, didn't like the storyline. So they actually approached says about writing a whole new story that used a lot of the artwork and stuff that they had produced. And uh, so that's how, it, that's how it came to be. And then, well, Cesar... And Katie went and wrote a, a really interesting story, and what we realized was that a lot of the artwork that they had originally done, though a great starting point, was not 
would not work for a PC game because it was so low res. It was meant for a phone game originally. Uh, Romano was involved in helping us to up-res all that artwork. He supervised the process, made sure the artists involved learn the proper line art and get the right look for Erica Reed and so forth. And um, so, yeah, so he, he really set the foundation for all the work the other, the other artists would eventually do. And basically, the, the fantastic look that you, you keep raving about is because of him, ultimately. Yeah, and uh, with Jane, um, you know, I, I we had we had met with Jane on last year, um, and and you know, since since our meeting, we always talked about well, what, what would be a good project for us to sort of come together and do something on. And when I got this uh, this thing from um, from from Keon, it it was. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, we thought that it was a great chance to, to do something with her. So I approached her. I talked to her about it. She liked it. She liked the idea. And then I started to, uh, I, I wrote a, a full um, outline. Well, I'm lying. We 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 first came to her with a bunch of ideas that we had. We we had a meeting with her, and and she read through all of those ideas, and she she basically said, well, this works. This doesn't work. Uh, this might work. She she gave us. A focus on what the story should be about. We we had two different ideas that we wanted to sort of put together in, in, into the same thing, and she said no, just just grab one of those, and I think that this is the most interesting one. She she went with the cognition idea, just just go on on, on that, and and you'll have a great story. And that's um, after that, I, I I thought more about the story, and I came up with, you know, the whole proposal for the four episodes. And since then, she's she's always been helping us with the story. Once I finish the script for the, for example, when I finished writing the script for the first episode, I sent it to her, and she went through the whole thing, um, rewriting and and, and 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 fixing some of the dialogue and, and rewriting some of the lines and giving us feedbacks on 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 how things work or not. And so it it especially on 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 the writing part of it, it has been. Um, a very big help from her, um, and you know I'm, I'm a big, big, big fan of Gabriel Knight. Probably my my favorite series of all time. So being able to work with her is really a dream come true to me, and and I really look up to what she has to say about my story or the, you know the the things that I write, and she's been very great. I mean she's been very help. It, it it's been a very helpful experience. Yeah, I would I would say like for us it's basically like an apprenticeship with these. Uh these bigger names like like Jane and Romano and they've really like help us they've helped us elevate the quality of our work and really kind of just give us perspective on you know sometimes you're you're really minded on something specific and then they can actually tell you no that actually is not going to work or maybe if you did it this way it might work better so it's really been a great learning learning experience for us and we hope for them too you know just to see a, a different perspective on how to approach stuff so it's been a good relationship that sounds excellent. Yeah, well, purely from fanboy jealousy, I, I'm very jealous of, of you guys. But you know, <laughs> you know. But on the other hand, it's 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 fantastic that you were able to get them involved in that capacity. And you know, I I like the way you explained it. Sort of like it's it's almost like an apprenticeship. You know, you have it's it's like you know the old guild system. You have you know the the master, the apprentice, the you know that sort of thing. And you know, it definitely, you know, it definitely feels like it's more refined. Than TSL, I love TSL, but I, uh, you know, I feel like Cognition is definitely an evolution from that. Like you guys definitely have a distinctive style, um, but it's definitely matured in Cognition, and I, I personally am looking forward to playing through the rest. 
So, and I, and I have to say, like, even but having Jane involved, it also you know brought some other great people on board to to help us. I mean, Robert Holmes did one of the one of the theme songs for the game. Oh, really? Called the Taking. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, his daughter, his daughter is actually the voice of Edgar Reed in the game. So honestly, that entire family is <laughs> really involved. In this game. Yeah. Yeah, if you hear if you hear, I don't know if you have a copy of the soundtrack or not. You should have one. If not, I, I can I can provide a copy to you guys so that if, if you guys want to review it in, in RPG fan. Uh, oh, uh, yes, uh, the, the 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 actual song of the game was written fully by by Robert and sang by his daughter because they have they have the the Scarlet Furies the the band, so they they record that for us. So that was it's a great song. Yeah, they're an excellent band too. I, uh, you know, this is this is isn't really objective. This is subjective for me. But you know, I, I reviewed Grey Matter, and you know, I love the music in Grey Matter, and the Scarlet Furies tracks and that were excellent. So when I heard that, you know, Riley Holmes was going to be voicing Eric, I said, oh, it sounds like they got the whole family involved. Yeah, we did. And uh, yeah. if you, if, I'm not sure if you noticed their the Scarlet Furies poster. At, I did. Uh, there you go. A little, a little nod to uh, that that excellent band. I mean, the first time I heard their music, the first time we met Jane, actually, they, Robert was nice enough to give each each one of us a CD of their band. And honestly, I listened to it all the way home. It was really, really good. Oh, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, it, it was an interesting bit of sort of meta commentary when Erica says, oh, man, I have to go see the Scarlet Furies. I love them. I go, wow, it's, <laughs> that must have been a really hard line for her to say in recording. Probably. So I, I guess I, I, I sort of had... Two more questions, but I'll, I'll wind it down because I don't want us to be on here all night. But so you you guys, you know, right now, you, you know, you're, you're in separate places. I mean, I'm, you know, that sort of thing in the future, you know, you know, you know, great scenario. Cognition is success. You guys make, you know, 50 more games. Do you ever see, you know, becoming the kind of company where you have an office, you all live in the same place and that's that sort of thing. You won't be, you know, telecommuting. Or, you know, do you like the, the current setup? You know, what do you see as that for the future? That's a really good question, to be honest. I mean, we thought of both scenarios, and really we have to see how things play out because we would love to have a studio. It would make sometimes the communication a lot more easy because a lot of times you're talking over Skype and you are thinking of something in your head, and the, the guy on the other end is completely thinking of something completely different. It's not like his interpretation of what you're saying is not always accurate. And sometimes that's led to issues that honestly could have been resolved really quickly if we had been in the same room. That being said, everybody lives in a different place. It's not, it would be some, maybe difficult to move, you know, 20, 25 people out of their different homes to move to one central location. So it's a logistics thing that we will deal with if and when it ever happens. But it's something we would like to, to do. Yeah, I mean, Definitely, I mean, definitely one 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 of our goals. Definitely, that that's one of my that's my next dream uh, to have everybody in the same room working together. Because that, you know, I I've done it before with, with working for Telltale and working for Activision, and and that's there's that that organic side of being together in the same office. It's it's something that we would benefit a lot from. And it, and it's true because actually one of my one of my friends recently started working for us. He used to work at Autodesk, and now he. He wanted to work for a little smaller studio and learn the, and help us, you know, get up there. And so technically, my house is the biggest branch of the studio because we have two people in it. But uh, it's really like the dynamic has completely changed since he started working here a few weeks ago. So it's definitely something we that we would like to do down the line. Excellent. Well, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, 
you know, it, it was great to get both of you here. Uh, Rob was my wingman, uh, my silent wingman. But uh, thank you guys for, you know, coming down with us. And uh, for the listener, uh, by the time this is out, you will be able to purchase Cognition, episode, uh, an Erica Reed thriller, episode one, The Hangman, for nine ninety nine, or um, the season pass, I believe it's twenty nine ninety nine. Yes. Yeah, that would be twenty nine ninety nine, and that that would also get you the the comic, the prequel comic for for the game. Excellent. Well, all right, guys, thanks for your time, and uh, you know, all the best of luck to you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. <laughs>